Good morning and happy Saturday. Welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week podcast. I'm host and audio producer of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, Stephen Serta. Chiefs offseason is in full force at the moment, but there's still quite a bit of news this past week to get you caught up on. So we're going to start today's show off with the Out of Structure podcast. They're checking in on the Chiefs as we move further and further into the offseason. That's going to be followed up by the editor's show. I joined Pete Sweeney this week to catch you up on all the Chiefs news that you need to know. After that, we're going to take a quick timeout when we get back. Show and BK discussed Andy Reid and the questions we have around the Chiefs offense this year, but why that means we're going to get the best out of Andy. That's all coming up on today's Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week. What do you think of the uh, the news about Melvin Ingram? Well, I'm sure glad the Chiefs did that un- unrestricted free agency tender, which none of us knew existed um, until they did it, um, which maybe that's why they did it, because they had a sneaking suspicion that he was tempted to go play elsewhere, and uh, they wanted to make that hard on him or at least get something back for it. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I, this whole offseason, honestly, uh, since the draft with everything in- included, I kind of had the assumption that that was going to happen, right? That Ingram was going to be back in Kansas City, that we kind of could factor that into how we think about the edge room. Or the defensive end room, and now all of a sudden we kind of, kind of, kind of regroup what, how we think about this, you know, our, our perspective on it. I mean, Stags like Melvin Ingram was kind of the ace in the hole last year at the position, and now you don't have him. You know, it's just it's it's Frank Clark, it's George Karloftis, and then you know a lot of you know unknown. I mean, Karloftis is an unknown, right? So it's Frank Clark and a lot of unknowns right now, and Ingram was a known, and so. I don't know. I obviously want your thoughts too, but do you think they should go after another veteran DN kind of like Ingram at this point again? Cause there's not a lot of options out there. It's, you know, after the draft and everything. Yeah. I would love to see another veteran, especially somebody with a little bit of juice off the edge, some more of a speed rusher to complement the other players that they have, you know, in, in retrospect, I, I thought that that was going to be Ingram as well. Yeah. But in retrospect, Ingram really plays more like a power player, even though he's a little undersized, He's a powerful guy, sets a strong edge, plays a run really, really well. He got some pressures last year, but not a lot of sacks. Um, so maybe his role actually is going to be a little bit more overlap with what Clark Loftus is going to bring us <laughs> this year. That's what I've nicknamed the uh, duo, Frank yes. Clark, George Carl Loftus. So Clark Loftus are going to bring a lot of that power edge play, uh, but you, don't, you can't really name a speed guy on this roster. Oh my God, Clark Loftus! I love that dude. I I love bringing that to the table. Just, just it's so menacing too. It has such a menacing <laughs> name to it. No, and that's and 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 you mentioned the the and and Carl Loftus is kind of what Ingram did to an extent. You were the one who who kind of brought that up, and I think that's a good point in terms of you know maybe a guy that plays with a lot of power, plays with a lot of raw, you know, just just momentum and and physical hands. But you know, just maybe isn't the 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 biggest dude, and so you, you kind of have to play with that momentum rather than just you know if you're kind of with if you don't have the momentum, maybe you're not as strong, all that kind of thing at the point of attack. But yeah, no, I, I think that kind of shows you maybe they they think a lot about the other guys behind them, which I know we'll get into a little later. But I would like to see the DNs, um, you know, maybe a veteran DN get in here. But you know, I do want to make this point here while we, while we talk about it. I mean, I don't know if you had a point there, Stags. I'll let you. No, I was actually just going to ask. You, you kind of come up with a short list of potential veterans that are on the market uh, at that position that could that could help. I wanted to see if any of those actually were were of interest to you or if you were just 
listing off the available names to and make a point. I definitely was just listing them off because none of them do actually do anything for me, really. Um, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul, you know, if you really want a guy that's just going to eat up snaps, which I don't think that's what they want, but if they really felt like they needed it, um, you know, he's played in uh, Spagnolo's system, obviously. You know, hey, Alex Okafor is still out there, only 31 years old, not as old as you'd think for someone that feels like it's been around forever. Uh, so, no, I there's not anyone that would excite me, but I wouldn't be surprised with either of those names. You know, a, a Ryan Kerrigan's out there, too. But, you know, I do want to point this out, though, Stags, and, and I tweeted this after the news, but it's just kind of goes to Veach's point, which he's been emphasizing all offseason, is, is they're getting younger. They're, they're getting younger, and every decision they've made, or, and, or every no decision, you could say, like not signing Melvin Ingram, um, has, gone, has gone towards the side of, hey, we want to get younger. We want to get you know, guys that are, that are more developmental, maybe, rather than you know, uh, has-beens or what the, we already know. And that's the case for like, pretty much every transaction they've made this offseason. It's just... It is. It is kind of refreshing to see Brett Veach like commit to that, right? Like not half-ass the the you know the youth movement. The hey, we want to get these guys you know the snaps so they can be ready for twenty twenty three and four. All that they're not half-assing it. They're they're going all in with this youth movement. It, it seems like, and I and I enjoy that that commitment to it. Uh, I don't know about you. Do you do you feel the same way? Yeah, and, and I do think money talks a little bit, right? So if. You know, they, they threw out a lot of nice words about Tyron Matthew, about how this is a player they wanted to bring back and they love him yeah. and proceeded to let him walk. And it, it makes you wonder if they were given a little bit of lip service to Melvin Ingram here as well. So this is a this is a player, sure, we wanted him back, you know, at, at our number. But if, if maybe they weren't that serious about bringing him back. Maybe they did want to get younger. And, I mean, it is a extreme long shot at this point to think that they're going to get contributions from some of the young guys on the roster already at defensive end. Yeah, it would yeah. be, it would be a shocker if you got, you know, Malik Herring and Josh Kando as, you know, substantial role players or rotational players, or, you know, they really were able to, to bring some production. Um, you know, may, they obviously know more than we do. They've been in the room with those guys. Maybe they do have more expectations than we think about those guys. And that's their plan is to just go really young uh, on the defensive line. Well, and, and this is the youth of the entire defense, though. I mean, first of all, besides Frank Clark at the edge position, the you know the second youngest or oldest player, I should say, was drafted in 2020. And that's kind of the case around the entire position group. Real quick, I, I noted this. The oldest player in the cornerback group was drafted in 2019. The oldest player in the linebacker group was drafted in 2020. The oldest player in the safety group was drafted in 2018. And that's Justin Reed the oldest interior defensive lineman besides Chris Jones was drafted in 2018. So you're talking about a lot of youth. Like everyone in this defense is very young, even the role players, really. It's, it is it is kind of crazy to see all this youth. There's a lot of guys that have already proven it at that age, but a lot of guys that haven't. So it's going to be an experiment this year a little bit. Yeah, I mean, of the names that are on the market, uh, really of the list that you gave me, only Tack McKinley fits that profile from an age standpoint. Yeah. And he's really been a – He's had a small role on, on his previous team, right? He's not really been a featured pass rusher yet in this league. No, he hasn't been. No, he, he's he's been a disappointment. And so that that's that's where it's, you know, you're kind of just throwing a, a dart out there. But, hey, it does fit what we've seen from Brett Veach do before, <laughs> former first-round pick. It's usually at the cornerback position, but uh, I guess I guess he might swing at edge. You know, you never know. We'll take all the huddled masses of disappointing first-round picks that yeah. have failed. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's a – 
I, I think I made this point on one of the draft reaction pods, but Brett Veach went out of his way to say that they had a lot of work to do on the defensive line this offseason. He did not say that they wanted to make it better. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of the work that he's done is bring back Frank Clark, bring back, um, you know, bring back the, the nose tackle. Yeah. Uh, Derek Nottie, yeah. Uh, and, and then really, you know, replace kind of on a one-to-one basis, you know, uh, with younger players uh, and let some of the older guys walk, you know, that's not, none of those are drastic moves. None of those are, are drastic improvements necessarily, or, or no guarantee of that. Um, so they, they've done work along the defensive line. It's just, it's yet to be seen whether that's an improvement or not. In fact, Ron, unless you have something else to add on that front, this is a nice segue into our next segment. I was sitting down thinking about how many different specific roles on this team are going to be better in 2022 as compared to 2021. Now, I'm not talking about position groups or or even necessarily, um, you know, one-to-one player uh, comparisons, but but actually it really is those jobs. Like at, at this specific role, this specific job, are the Chiefs going to be better moving forward than they were last year? So let's go offense, defense, special teams – and talk about some of these positions and see if we can tally up because I only have maybe two or three positions where they could be worse than last year and a lot more that I think have actually improved, even though some of them are low-impact, down-the-roster type guys. One of the big goals for the offseason, as I saw it, was they needed to improve on the depth of this team. So it's not that they needed more stars, which, of course, they do. Every team you know would, would love to have – more top-end players. But if you look down at who was getting significant snaps uh, for this Chiefs team over the last few years, you know, players on the on the defensive side of the ball and the offensive side of the ball that were their production did not match the opportunities that they were given, uh, and it was just sort of time to see somebody new there. So we don't know for sure if some of these are going to be improvements or not, but in some cases, at least from my point of view, a change is an improvement. Uh, yeah. You're not going to see the same guys trotted out there uh, snap after snap. But So let's start on the offense. Uh, so I'm going to make the case that when you look at wide receiver, they've, they've upgraded some very specific one-to-one roles here. So I think that you can consider Juju Smith-Schuster an upgrade over Byron Pringle. They can function in fairly similar ways. Uh, they're both physical players, great run blockers, you know, can make the tough catch, you know, strong hands, contested t- catch type guys. Um, so I think if you just line them up in that way, that's an upgrade. Yeah, and and I actually agree with that. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious. I, I don't think a lot of people would disagree, but I, in terms of the position to position or like the direct comparison, what role they're going to play, I do think a lot of what Byron did last year was just you know, be a guy that has a good, you know, good strength, good size for a receiver, but also has has pretty good quickness and speed and everything. That's what Juju does. You know, Juju, for his size, can move pretty well. And I think Juju is going to just be a better overall playmaker. I do think he gives you a little more after the catch and just in terms of he's a better football player than Pringle. So I think I, I think that's 100 percent. You knock that one out of the park. I don't think anyone's disagreeing. All right. So also at wide receiver, again, very similar roles, I can imagine, Slot MVS in for Demarcus Robinson, and you've got a second upgrade at the wide receiver position. Uh, both 
potential deep threats. You know, both are, are players that can get downfield. Uh, also good blockers, uh, right? So yeah. MVS can block. Uh, Demarcus Robinson was a was a really accomplished blocker. Um, so I think just on the offense, just in that specific role, I'm going to call that an upgrade. Yeah, and I think I think what D Rob was giving them is similar to what MVS will be giving you that that secondary player that's going to get deep on a on a post corner and, and get behind the whole defense every once in a while. You hope MVS is a little more though, and I think he can be. I think we saw towards the end, Robinson just, you know, I mean, he was either making a huge play like that or it was a very negative play. And I don't think MBS is going to have that same sort of uh, volatility. So, yeah, so I, I think right there you're you're spot on with both of them. So can we say that MBS is a step forward uh, as, as, compared to, <laughs> as compared to Robinson? Yes, yes. Right. I love it. I love it. And right, he's, so number, he's number 11, too. He's even, he's even stealing his number. So There you go. Well, sticking with the wide receivers, I think the one position you can argue is maybe going to be worse off than last year. Again, this is probably not that controversial, but you can't replace Tyreek Hill at wide receiver one with one with a one-to-one comparison. I think they're going to take Sky Moore and have him do as much of the, the McCole Hardman. I'm sorry. Take, they're going to take Sky Moore and have him do as much of the Tyreek Hill job as he can. Uh, and I think Sky Moore is going to be very good, but he's not going to be Tyreek Hill. So we'll mark that one as a, as a downgrade. Yeah, and and you know it it, it goes to kind of the overall picture of the receiver position as a whole. You know, yes, you have those secondary receivers we just talked about. They did improve, but does their overall impact on the team improve when they're not behind Tyreek Kills or wide receiver one? Right, like that's the question. Again, we're talking about individual roles, so yes, that did improve. But the wide receiver one, it could have been such a downgrade. Which I, I do think there's there's something to McColl and Sky Moore together can kind of you know do some of the things they need out of Tyreek Hill. Um, you know whether it's McColl Hardman's deep speed, you know just straight ahead speed, kind of big playability, or Sky Moore's ability to get yak, you know create separation in the short to intermediate areas. All that to say, the wide receiver position as a whole, you know I, I do think you could maybe if and we're not talking about this right now, but if you're talking about the receiver position as a whole, that could have just gotten worse just because. Tyreek Hill puts such a ceiling on that. Now you don't have that. You know, it, it, it even if the other, you know, even if the secondary positions get a little better, you know, it, it's not going to, the position as a whole may not be as good. All right, Steve, let's get to the news from this week. And we'll actually start with some news that, that broke today. James Bradbury, who was on the New York Giants cornerback, was set to make $13.5 million became clear that the Giants were going to move on from him. They needed the cap space. And eventually, when there were no trade suitors for him, he was released last week. Suddenly, we thought, okay, well, maybe the, the Chiefs could get involved. They could use another veteran, even though they it feels like they've added a million defensive backs this offseason. But instead, he signs with the Philadelphia Eagles. And as we're looking into this and the contract, it's a $10 million one-year deal. This will allow Bradbury to hit the open market at the beginning of next year's offseason, something he wasn't afforded this offseason with the Giants holding on to him. And even though it says $10 million, the consensus at the time of this recording, we're recording about 11.30 on Wednesday. At the time of this recording, it's thought that the cap hit is going to be between $2.5 million and $3.2 million. The Giants are going to be paying uh, cap hit wise more than the Eagles, which has to drive them bananas. Think about if the Chiefs were paying uh, more of a cap hit for a Denver Bronco, that would be about the same thing. 
the cap hit is small, and the thought process among the Eagles writers and the salary cap writers is that there are dummy years built into this. And we've talked about it. I've talked about it with John on this show before. The Chiefs just don't like the dummy years. They don't like these invisible years of cap that's going to nothing that lasts with you, especially when you're you're paying Patrick Mahomes half a billion dollars. So that, I, I don't want to say for sure, but that seems like it's just not something they're going to do. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's a Chiefs or Brett Veach strategy. So that n- didn't become an option for them. I don't think that they were willing to pay $10 million against the cap when there's only $11.4 million free. So, you know, you're looking for the bright side here. If you wanted to see Bradbury on the Chiefs, at least he's out of the AFC, uh, didn't come to an AFC team, stays in the NFC, so he's not going to hurt you there. And I think it's betting even more so on the youth movement, McDuffie and and Legereus Sneed and Rashad Fenton and a lot of these lesser-known players and draft picks that you're going to have six guys that you really feel good about. Yeah, and I, I think it's just really important to remember in the Brett Veach era as a general manager where the Chiefs have been really cap-conscious. Like you know, He talked about last week that they knew their offensive line w- was getting old and they had to move on. Like they, They've been really smart about not investing in, in older veteran players, and we saw it with Tyron Matthew. Like I, I think that they just – there was a point in this off season where maybe they considered let's just retool with some veterans, bring those guys in. And then once it turned to, okay, we're moving on from Tyree kill. We're getting younger. Now we, we got to invest in the youth and see what we got in these draft picks, see what we can accomplish there. It just became, we're not really that interested in these aging veteran players because we might need a little bit more time to develop these young guys now and see what we have there as opposed to having a super bowl ready roster, which makes it, a lot more likely that you're going to sign the Melvin Ingrams, the James Bradberries. And so when a trade didn't happen with that, while I would have still liked to see James Bradbury land with the Kansas City Chiefs, I think he's still a good player. I think he's still a good veteran cornerback. I just don't think the Chiefs, when it came down to it, were actually that interested in it because they drafted so many defensive backs. And I think they've got a lot of faith in Rashad Fenton and Legereus Need, so they want to see what they have in those guys, and I don't really blame them for it. Well, the timeline on this was the Chiefs had interest – then it came out that they didn't have interest in trading for him because they didn't want the $13 million cap hit. Nobody did. And then once he became available again, we were just sort of wondering aloud. Again, I, I don't think the Chiefs want to build in these dummy years. And so you would have had to devote what we'd guess between $8 million and $10 million against the cap for this year. And they don't have enough money. I mean, the, the, there's too much money that's tied up right now. Uh, and also, you wonder if, like, let's say a scenario where Orlando Brown had an agent and that had been figured out and there was more money available, maybe they go and do it. I, I think you'd be wrong to say that James Bradbury wouldn't have been among the top three cornerbacks, but the, the Chiefs are betting on the, I think, sheer quantity of defensive backs that they're going to have in training camp. And when you have a a lot of these guys, you can see what works and it's going to be for cheap and and you save money here. And and I also think and I think it's fair to say there's a world where even without Bradbury, this room would be better than than with him as well. So either way, I mean, I I can see the, the logic behind what the Chiefs are doing with the situation. Well, and I think the Chiefs are banking on, you know, we talked about headed into the draft, how 
Veach just doesn't invest high draft equity in cornerbacks. And then he just did it. And so I, I think there is a, a thought process there with, with Spag saying like, well, you know, I've always just gotten it done. Charvarius Ward, Legarius Need, Rashad Fenton, uh, Bashad Breeland, like, or Mike Hughes, just give me bodies and, and give me guys that fit our athletic profile and that can do the things that I want them to do on defense. And we can figure it out in the secondary. And so I think there's a lot of faith there with that. And then you invest a first round pick in a cornerback and you're like, okay, we're going to get the most out of this guy. And we already have Sneed and Fenton who are nice players. You like what they can do. They could still even get better. And so I just think there's a lot of faith in spags from Brett Veach, knowing that he's going to be able to accomplish whatever they want to do in that secondary. Yeah. Uh, over the weekend, Another move came down, Steve. This is why you, while you're eating gumbo on the Bayou, wrestling Gators down in New Orleans, Melvin Ingram goes to Miami, and pretty disappointing. I, I think consensus was that we would have all liked to see Melvin Ingram back with the Chiefs. He signed a one-year deal worth five million dollars. Probably was more than what the Chiefs were willing to offer. Uh, and he goes and, and joins Tyreek down in Miami because of that UFA tag. The Chiefs could be due for what would be a compensatory pick now in 2023. I'm a little disappointed with this one. I don't know if I would have paid $5 million either. I do think you have some interesting younger players at defensive end. And uh, yes, I think the defensive line as a whole certainly played better with Ingram uh, added to it from the trade with the Pittsburgh Steelers. It, it was in a sense, night and day last year, once Ingram joined the team and uh, it was more than the box score. If you really look at the box score, he, he didn't make his mark. There it was just how he affected the whole line. But I, I think it can be replicated by some of these young guys. I think they really believe in Karloftis. And then you have some other interesting players like a Mike Dana and what is Josh Kando? Maybe now that he's healthy in year two, can you start to lean into some of that youth and, and Malik Herring is interesting. And so I think the chiefs at a certain price point didn't work out. Now they might get a pick back and, and Ingram is with the dolphins. I, I do think, I think there are some remaining interesting defensive ends on the market, but it, it just appears that Brett Veach is not going to invest a lot, even for some of these veterans. Yeah. And there are still some interesting candidates out there, like a, a Jadavian Clowney. I, yeah. I think I would be interested in him joining the chiefs and seeing what he's still got. And he's coming off a strong season. I know he was on the other side of miles Garrett last year, but I'd like to see what he could do for them because I still think they need a veteran presence there. I don't know how much faith I, I have in Joshua Kando or Mike Dana. Like at least with Dana, we, we know what he is. He's, a rotational pass rusher. He, he's not mm -hmm. really an every down guy. I, I know our guys at Arrowhead pride are really high on Malik Herring and he's going to be an interesting training camp story to keep an eye on, but I would still like to see another veteran player there. I does dolphin general manager, Chris Greer, like, is it just his goal now to swipe players that the Kansas city chiefs want to want to resign? <laughs> Cause it feels like that's just what the dolphins have been doing for the last two years. And it's really annoying, but I, I don't blame Melvin Ingram. It seemed like he was never necessarily sold on like being in Kansas city long-term. Like he signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers when the chiefs were really interested, then they trade for him. So it was really kind of out of his hands that he wound up in Kansas city in the first place. And he's an aging veteran player who doesn't want to go to OTAs, doesn't want to go to mini camps, probably doesn't want to go to training camps. Like he just wants to show up and play. And 
Miami's a pretty cool place to live. So I don't really blame Melvin Ingram for wanting to sign with the Dolphins. No, I, I don't. And I do think this isn't done. I do think one of these veterans will end up with the Chiefs, whether it be Clowney, who you mentioned, JPP, who had ties to the Chiefs, is still out there. Carlos Dunlap, at 33, had eight and a half sacks last year and 21 pressures. You you put him in the mix. I think he's interesting as well. So maybe the Chiefs don't end up with Ingram, but I, I think you'll have an Ingram-type player that they identify, they come to an agreement. As you alluded to, Steve, one of these veteran guys essentially says, I, I'm not coming to OTs. <laughs> And they sign maybe after what would be mandatory minicamp. Uh, you've seen that trend as recent years have gone on where they just don't want to participate in that. And, and who could blame them? They, they've been in the league for, what, 10 years, a lot of these guys. And they don't want to come until regular training camp. And so, yeah. whatever, you can understand that. They know how to get in shape at this point. Like, they know how to get in shape <laughs> yes, they know. in the NFL season. They're like, I don't need to do all that stuff. Leave me alone. Without coaches yelling at them. Yeah. Uh, I'm working uh, I'm working out down in Miami. I'm not coming to Kansas City for OTAs. Well, the thing that you saw last year was Ingram. He comes in the middle of the year. It just is a lot easier, it seems, for an edge rusher to come in and have an immediate impact than for what would be you know, when you trade for a wide receiver at the deadline. The Chiefs almost can't do that. I, we 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 saw the experiment of Josh Gordon, who, look, he looked a little slower, of course, but he still had the size and he, he scored a touchdown. I think there was a learning curve when it came to the playbook that, you know, he just couldn't grasp. I, I'm I'm just about giving up hope on on a Josh Gordon, but I I think it is intriguing for a, him to have a full off season and just to see what you have there. But <clears throat> what I'm saying is. You could bring in a defensive end for training camp, maybe in the middle of training camp, and I think he would be fine to play week one more so than really trying to drop the Andy Reid playbook on one of what would be like these skill position players. It uh, doesn't seem to work out in, in that sense. So, like I said, I, I don't know which way do they go. Uh, I don't think they're done at defensive end. That would be my conclusion here when it comes to adding to the room. Other news points, Steve, here. Creed Humphrey was named to... Pro Football Focus's top 25 under 25 list. What was interesting about this is Humphrey comes in at 16. Not on the list were Nick Bolton and Trey Smith. Is that a problem for you? No. They played one year, and I I, I don't know off the top of my head what Nick Bolton's like final PFF rating was, but early in the season, I would imagine it probably wasn't very good. So he got significantly better as the season went on, as he learned and got more comfortable in the NFL. So I think that's fine. Trey Smith, while he probably should be there, there's a lot of really good guards right now in the NFL. Um, so I, I don't think that it, it's that big of a surprise. Like, He's going to be a really good player for a really long time, but they've all got one year under their belt, so I don't think we should be mad about any of this stuff. I also think there was some name power on this list. Like I know PFF grades everybody, but number 25, for example, you're, you're doing a 25 under 25 list. The number 25 player was cornerback Trevon, Trevon Diggs. The number 24 player was tight end Kyle Pitts. Linebacker Devin White. I just don't know how known like Nick Bolton and Trey Smith are. Creed Humphrey, I think stemming from... 610 sports radio sort of been sort of became last year the face for like offensive line respect and i think a lot of people 
not in Kansas City know simply know who Creed Humphrey is, and so I think that always helps with the, with a list like this. And you know, you see the top of the list; it's Nick Bosa and Justin Herbert and Jonathan Taylor. There's only 25 spots, so I, I think if you're going to put anyone on it, I I probably even lead Bolton, who led the Chiefs by 30 tackles as a rotational player before I would maybe even put Smith, but I'm not going to lose sleep over the fact that these guys weren't included. I, I think it's a good thing for Creed Humphrey. Uh, and I think, you know, it adds a challenge, not that I don't, Nick Bolton or Trey Smith necessarily gives a damn about this list, but it adds a challenge to maybe gain some of that respect that Humphrey has earned through his first year. Well, 25 under 25, the fact that they put any center on the list is impressive. So like that says everything you need to know about how good Creed Humphrey was as a rookie. Like Trey Smith was fantastic too, and he's going to get the recognition that he deserves at some point. But yeah, it's guard on the offensive line in the NFL is generally a faceless position outside of teams fan bases. Like it's not a lot of people walking around the world who could see Trey Smith on the street and just be like, Oh, that's Trey Smith, guard for the Kansas City Chiefs. But most <laughs> Chiefs fans would, right? Yeah, of course. No, I, I think he's really become one of these fan favorites. And if you just look at the right side of the line and include Creed Humphrey uh, as the center, you could be looking at a line, Steve, of a 22-year-old Creed Humphrey, a 22-year-old Trey Smith. And then you have Darian Kennard, who will be fighting for position, and he is also 22. Not so bad for your center to your potential right tackle, all being the age of 22 uh, and, and effective. Again, Kennard is going to have to fight off Wiley if that is to be, but impressive. I, I mean, we've said it a thousand times now, but impressive by Brett Veach to really turn the offensive line around, especially with how young some of these guys yeah, are. If, if Kennard pans out as the right tackle and, like, you know, everybody's circulating that same picture of him where it's just like, yeah, that's how you want your right tackle to look like just like, he's just a nasty dude. Who's ready to just lay people out. Like the chiefs offensive line could be ridiculous. And yeah, they're young and cheap. It, it could be absolutely insane. The protection that Patrick Mahomes has this season. Support for this show comes from Sylvan learning as a parent. You want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L. VAN29.com. I think back to things you've said before, BK, and that is, man, you, you compare like the Chiefs to what that second phase or that third phase of the Patriots, in which, hey man, Randy got up out of here and 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 
what the hell? What's the slot guy's name? What the hell? Wes West Welker. He got up out of here. Like this is a different Star, Star Wars got up out of here. This is all right. They've moved from that high powered offense that beat you down the field and their wide receivers and everything to then they move to the tight end things and they drafted Rob Gronkowski and they put him and the killer together and they just really at the middle of the field and that's how they dominated things. And then they used their backs out of the backfield in the past game. Like that's, that was the new way they, uh, they attacked teams. It looked different, but they were still effective enough on offense to win. Hell, they didn't win championships with those crew. They won them with the other ones. And that's the thing is, yeah, they got to live life without Tyreek Hill. And that's an adjustment. But these other teams, especially early, they've got to figure out, all right, what the hell is Andy Reid doing early on? Because as you said, like, nobody, we don't know what the hell the Chiefs are going to do offensively. We don't know what's going to be their new way of attacking things. They've got a lot of things there. You can see they they brought in Juju Smith-Schuster. They brought in um, uh, Valdez Scantley. They've drafted Sky Moore, who we like. They've got a lot, and then they, you know, obviously, they still have McCole Hardman, and they've got the back. But we don't know exactly what Andy is going to say. This is how we attack things. This is going to be the new bread and butter. This is going to be the things. Like you can go back and look at the Philly days, which I have done. You can go back and look at the Alex Smith days. You can go back and look at a lot of things, but. Teams are going to have to adjust to what Andy Reid is going to do. And Andy Reid, like we've known this, Serta, you've watched him. BK, you've watched him. Andy Reid, who's been a head coach in the NFL for over 25-plus years, he's had a lot of different type of styles, right? Like he's had, it feels like three different styles within Donovan McNabb. He's had the T.O. run. He's had the Hank Basket no-name receivers run with Freddie Mitchell. He's had the Brian Westbrook's going to be the number one target guy out of this. Then he had Michael Vick, and he had the Deshaun Jackson thing with Michael Vick. Right? Don't He's forget had, about Kevin Cobb. That was four games, two games. Hell, it wasn't either. Hell, it was a couple games. He got hurt the first game of the year, but – He's Ron knows that because he's gone back and watched every from mid two thousands Eagles game over the last two weeks. That's right. The the Green Bay Packers, Clay Matthews, got him from behind and hit him, and, and that brought Michael Vick off the bench. But I mean, Ron's gonna run out of Eagles tape, and he's gonna start watching the nineties Packers I'm to remember Andy I'm when he was like thirty years old. <laughs> I'm looking at this because I am truly intrigued by what we're going to get. I like that's the thing is, like, all right, yeah, they got life with help. Oh, Tyreek Hill, all right, we don't have to cover deep, but hold on, uh, Arizona. Do you know what Andy's going to do? And if you know Andy, hey, uh, Chargers game two, you can look at what they did against Arizona, but that ain't completely it because all of a sudden, how when in the hell did the Kansas City Chiefs all of a sudden have the, the leading rusher in the NFL come out of nowhere with Kareem Hunt? When would Andy Reid have that? Who knows? You just don't know what he's going to. He's had Jamal Charles. He's had no, like he has been able to do a lot of different things. So I, I think these first four weeks, yeah, it's a tough schedule, but these teams got to figure out what the hell Andy Reid's going to bring to the table. And none of us know. Yeah, it, it's a challenge for the Chiefs, but it's also a challenge for the other teams to be able to yes. try to figure out and game plan for what the Chiefs are going to do. And I think for a lot of these teams, especially early on, like, We've seen this with Andy before, where he'll show certain aspects of his playbook early, but not all of it. So you could see 
a, po- a portion of it against Arizona that he wants to break out. And then, you know, on Thursday night football, the first ever prime video uh, Thursday night football game, you know, Andy's going to bring something out for that one against the Chargers because he knows how big of a game that is. So you're going to see new stuff every single week. And we have no idea what it is. Like some of it might be he's going 13 personnel with one running back and three tight ends. The next week he might say, you know what? Darius Fountain is going to be our. Uh, okay, nah, maybe now not. you're maybe just not. Out here maybe not. Dream, I'm getting out a little over a my what it? Stop, but, man. Let him go. The next week, maybe you see Clyde Edwards. Gar- Gar- Garrick Dieter. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> he's gone. Nah, his time's <laughs> over, man. He's yeah. finally gone. Clyde could be featured one week. You know who might have a bigger role than we're expecting? Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones seems to fit really well with their new offensive line. So uh, there's a lot of different things that they could do with the offense. And it reminds me a little bit, and it's no coincidence that uh, Matt Nagy's back. But remember that final year with Alex Smith here? How everything, it came out and it was like, oh my God, this, this is different. Who is this quarterback? And what happened to the old Alex Smith that we watched? You could see that this year, not in the same way, because you're not going to see Patrick Mahomes come out and throw it deep and be like, whoa, Patrick Mahomes can throw deep. Now we know that, but there's just going to be different things schematically that surprise us. And I'm really looking forward to that. I'm I'm telling you right now, fellas, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fall for it. And I know I'm going to fall for it. And it's something that many Chiefs fans have done over the last couple of years. This is the time where Clyde Edwards Alaire is featured for. I'm going to fall for it right now. I know each one of you, I believe, over the last couple of years have said it. I, I, I remember, I don't remember, I think it was last year where you were gung-ho, sort of. Oh, God, Clyde is going to go. He is going to go crazy. I think, BK, you were in there, too. We said I'm, draft him in your fantasy drafts. Draft him high. You sure as hell did. I'm going to fall for healthy. it. It's going to stay I, healthy. I think that potentially is a wrinkle of using his his talents. Uh, uh, there there were just maybe too, uh, too many other pieces that you had to get involved. Like Tyreek Hill, had to, you had to use him and, and, and use things down the field. And maybe there are less – because there's to me there's only one person you've got to get the ball to at some point in the game, and that is Kelsey. Now you can you, you, you could do a lot of different things, and I'm going to fall for it. I believe Clyde's usage is going to come. That Clyde that we, everyone envisioned at LSU, I think we'll see more of that. Him and him and Ronald Jones, I'm falling for it. I know it. Him and Ronald Jones back there, and he's the pass receiver. I, I, I do. I think that the little, the little James White action, uh, the little Austin Eckler, I think we're going to see it. I am falling for it, but I'm saying it right now. I think that's one of the adjustments is, is taking advantage of that matchup. Him against linebackers, him against – Guys, I, I, we've been calling for it, but I think now it, it, it may it may be something that happens. I I agree, and I do think that they're going to run. This do you year. agree because you want to agree, or do you actually agree and think that that Andy's actually going to to make him a priority? I I don't know if Andy's necessarily going to make him individually a priority. I think Andy is going to make the run game a priority more this year, just because of the personnel they have along the offensive line take some of the pressure off of Patrick Mahomes like we saw in the playoffs where he feels like he has to do everything for the offense and and make it a little bit easier for him. Now, it depends on how much they trust Clyde as a pass catcher because one thing we know about Ronald Jones is that dude is not a pass catcher. Like, it's just not – 
a part of his game that has translated to the NFL. It was the biggest issue with him in Tampa Bay was like, he is, he is an explosive runner. He is a dynamic running back, but dude cannot pass block. Dude cannot catch passes. Like he's just not good at it. And so Clyde's got to be able to contribute in that way because they're going to need him to. And Ronald Jones basically just an early down back. I do think they're going to run more. And I agree with BK that I think you can learn more about this chief's offense headed into this season by looking at that final year of Alex Smith then you're probably going to learn by looking at all of the years since with Patrick Mahomes, because, you know, yeah, the personnel, like even going back to 2018 when they had the the full plethora of weapons were setting offensive records and then having Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey all these years, I do think there's a level of complacency that they hit offensively and creatively with their play calling that is going to not happen this season. Like, I think we're going to get the best Andy Reid that we've seen in a couple of years. And that's crazy because Andy is always really good, but I think we're going to see Andy lean a little bit more into, okay, I got to be the guy doing, doing everything and making everything easier for our offense. Listen, not to be a slut here, but I, I will push back a little bit on that. And that is, don't we think the difference in Alex Smith that year was the emergence of Tyreek Hill. Like he started to throw the ball down the field more because the emergence of the most feared downfield threat that we had, like it wasn't that maybe if I'm, maybe y'all saw it different, but I felt like the difference between Alex Smith and not throwing, listen, I will never forget the Denver Bronco game that I went to, and then I went back and rewound it back. It was when Marcus Peters returned an intercession from Peyton Manning back, but they still found a way to lose down at the end of it. He threw, I think, three balls more than five yards past the line of scrimmage in the entire game. And he threw it like 30 times. All of them were within the line of scrimmage, five yards of the line of scrimmage. A lot of sideways, short stuff. That's what they did all game long. And then Tyreek Hill came on the team and and came on the scene that next year, and that's when they're throwing the ball down the down the field, and that was the changes. So I I wonder about how much Tyreek dictated a change in in Alex Smith. Some of that is true, but some of that was the usage of Tyreek Hill as well, yeah, and that goes up. back to what Andy was willing and able to do with him that first year. Andy didn't know what he had in Tyreek no. Hill. And they realized, oh, this guy's just a receiver. Like, they didn't know if he was a running back, a receiver, a slot guy, if he was going to be a gadget player like what they've had in the past with Anthony Thomas. What are we going to use this guy as? I mean, that year early on, it, he had a bunch of carries from the backfield. Like, that's the way they were utilizing him. Not in motion, not the end arounds, but like actual running back carries for Tyreek Hill. And then they were like, oh, no, this guy's a receiver. So they started using him outside. And so some of it was absolutely just the most feared receiver in the NFL just bloomed. He blossomed into what he was ultimately going to be. But some of it was also like Alex had had guys that could go deep in the past. He just didn't throw it to them for whatever reason. And I think some of it was, I got nothing left to lose. They just drafted my replacement. He knew that you knew that Ron, I knew it sort of every chiefs fan knew this is going to be a one year thing. And so he just said, bleep it i'm gonna throw it deep and it worked he also, he also said tyreek's a little different than donnie avery 100 yeah. percent. and jeremy macklin who was clearly banged up at that point in different, his career yeah. so like he, he was a different cat 
but some of it was also the schematics of it as well. So I think it's a combination of all of the above. They were also just more creative than, than they have been the last couple of years. And I think some of that is you fall into patterns. When you have the same personnel available to you, there's only so many different ways that you can utilize them, right? By the end, this Golden State Warriors thing, like we kind of know what it's going to look like. Early on, when they were adding all of these new different pieces in, it was like, oh, wow, how are they going to use Andrew Wiggins? What are they going to be able to do to incorporate Kevin Durant? Like all of these different things were in there. And so they would find new and interesting ways to use these new pieces. Chiefs haven't really had that the last few years. Kind of been stagnant in terms of the personnel. And now you've got so many new pieces that there are a million different ways that this thing could go. Well, and I still want them to throw the ball plenty. Like, well, you got Patrick let, Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes sling yeah. it. Yes, absolutely. But it's also not just like the running game. It's things that we've seen Andy Reid do with incredible success in the past that they've seemingly abandoned over the last couple of years, like the design screens, the bubble screen used to be a huge part of their offense with Alex Smith. And it used to be something they seemed to be able to do basically whenever they wanted. And it'd pick up seven yards, eight yards. Sometimes they'd break one. Like, like those kinds of things are things that they've basically just abandoned under Patrick Mahomes. And it's understandable because it's a lot more fun when you're scoring 50 yard touchdowns and when you can score quick and put up 35 points a game, I'd much rather prefer that they do that too but they have to diagnose like what they have in the personnel group now and and who can do what and who's good at what. And I think that experimenting is actually going to be a good thing for their offense. And I think more and more now because they don't have as much of that, you know, bum rush you type of ability offensively. They got to They've also got to play their offense to help their defense even more than they have in years before. And that's why I think when you say they've got to run the ball and maybe uh, hold possession a little bit more, like maybe they don't want as many possessions in the game as the chiefs, you know, used to, right? Like, I mean, that that's a recipe for disaster. You start playing some of these teams they got on their schedule and the way their defense looks as of now, like you got to help, you got to help them out as much. And, and some of that can be done with how you're playing offense. The other thing is, like, if you're hoping for a Clyde Renaissance year, guys, I think what you're you're hoping for is that he takes on that Daryl Williams role that Daryl had last year and still holds on to some of the early down work that he had a year ago. And then you just give a, a great portion of the former Clyde, the grinder role, to Ronald Jones. And that's kind of what you were getting at, Serta, is like Ronald Jones, that's that's what he's here for, is to give you the four yards on first and ten, the three yards on second and four to be able to set you up in third and manageable. That's Ronald Jones. That's what he's been in his career. He's not really a third down back. And over the last few years, Daryl Williams has carved out a really nice role as a third down running back in this offense and if you look at what Clyde and Daryl did combine in the passing game last year, it's about 65 receptions for 600 yards through the air. It's a heck of a year for a running back. And if Clyde takes that on this year, yeah, that that's suddenly the player that we all thought he was going to be when they drafted him out of LSU. There's just going to be somewhere an area of the offense that had been underutilized that will step forward coming up I don't we don't know where it is what it's going to be but there is something that is going to step forward just like the the example we keep going back to is like the Patriots didn't use tight ends I can't think of a tight end they had 
when Randy and, and Wes Welker and them were there. Benjamin and all of, Watson. Yeah. Was that it? Maybe he was there. He was there for at least the first couple of Brady rings. That was probably before Randy. A bit, that was made because those guys never won a ring. So I, I uh, so because like Welker and Randy, they never won a ring. So I can't even remember. But then after they left, that was a position that became the leading part of their offense. So we'll see what it is. I don't know what it is. Um, and it, it, like I said, we, that's what we're talking about. It'll be really interesting to see what comes forward. 